0: Hi, and welcome back to the show. Today with me, I have Mike Larcher. He is the CEO and founder of Outsourced.ph. Outsourced is one of the original outsourcing suppliers focusing on the small and medium-sized business market. Mike is also quite technical himself. He has been involved in different sort of web projects and agencies and things like that. And so he really leads the way in terms of technical recruitment and getting knowledge and creative staff to work their best specifically in the offshore market. So we're talking really high caliber offshore and outsourced employees here. Uh, so it's a really interesting conversation I have with Mike, especially towards the end of the podcast where he kind of goes into the potential and what you can do to your business when you get it working well and when you're hiring an offshore team, not just for the sort of low entry level roles but for the high skilled high caliber roles. I certainly get quite excited about the whole thing, so I hope that you know those that are less familiar with offshoring and its potential also get uh, similarly excited. As always, any of the show notes or links that he mentions are in the show notes, so go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. Enjoy. This podcast is brought to you by Outsource Accelerator. We are the world's leading outsourcing marketplace and advisory. We help big and small businesses with their outsourcing needs, and we can help you too. We cover everything from offshore business and staffing strategy, optimal outsourcing structures, implementations, and fully managed services. If you are already outsourcing, about to start, or somewhere in between, then we can ensure that you get the best from outsourcing. That's the best prices, best terms, and of course the best results from your offshore operations. The Outsource Accelerator Marketplace now covers over 3,000 outsourcing firms, representing a global workforce of over 5 million people. We also host this leading outsourcing podcast, publish inside Outsourcing, and have over 15,000 pages of content on the site. Because we span the entire market, we can ensure that you, get the best deal possible. Get in touch today. Visit us at outsourceaccelerator.com slash quote. Also, if you find this podcast interesting or valuable, please share it. We have now produced hundreds of episodes featuring the outsourcing world's most prominent luminaries Please show your support by sharing this podcast today. Mike Larcher, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm very well, Derek. Thank you. Thanks for your time. We have known each other for years now, Mike, and uh, we we have not actually caught up for that beer yet, but it's only gone back a long time. Mike, we were talking just before the show, and you've been going since 2012, which in the outsourcing world, is you know that's that's a long, long time. I actually remember I first I got my first staff in the Philippines in 2011, in the same neighbourhood that you are also kicking around in in, in Manila. So um, we have no doubt crossed paths a number of times. But uh, it's great it's great to have you on the show. And I suppose as as a lead-in as a bit of an introduction, what on earth were you thinking of setting up? An outsourcing firm back in 2012. You're really quite an an early mover.
1: Yeah, thanks. Um, So, I started my first business uh, when I was 20 years old, straight out of university, and that was a web development company. Um, And I think the nature of web development makes it a lot easier to to outsource. So, um, you know, 15 to 20 years ago, I was using staff that weren't in Australia, where I where I live in Sydney, I had some staff that were in the Ukraine. I had some staff that were in India, um, had some staff that were all over the world. And, and so I was a super early adopter of using staff that um, weren't sitting in the same office as me. Um, and I had some issues with um, the setup that I you know, was using these guys offshore that uh, um You know, I wasn't the one necessarily always uh, having the opportunity to interview them and select them and train them. Um, It was through a third party and then other times the time differences just weren't working out. Um, or the communication, um, you know, the guys in the Ukraine that that were really struggling with the English um, and then you had to kind of interject a project manager to translate and the costs kind of creeped up. But, um, yeah, uh, nearly 10 years ago I found the Philippines and uh, fell in love with the the people there, uh, English speaking, um, super similar culturally, um, super service oriented and just lovely people. And the quality was there as well. So I um, picked the Philippines, initially just thought I would uh, build a small team for my for my other company, the web development company. But it went so well that, uh, some of my clients started asking for for staff offshore and i created the business model um like i say pretty pretty early adopter of you know for professional services especially uh, you know 10 years ago for this in the outsourcing space um, and it kind of rolled from there and i sold the web development company a couple of years ago to focus purely on outsource because we've grown to you know, over 450 staff and kind of heading towards you know, 2000 in the next few years. So it's uh,
0: got all my attention and energy and really enjoying it. Wow. And the Philippines is so close to Australia. It's incredible, isn't it? It's like this hidden gem just off the, the coast of Australia and, you know, very similar time zones. Uh, and Australia is known for incredibly high salaries, very high pay and a shortage of, of qualified staff willing to do the work and so it's just like this gold mine isn't it?
1: Yeah I think um, that's one of the reasons that the Philippines was was so great was that the the time difference was only two to three hours depending on daylight saving in Australia and it direct flight from Sydney to Manila Manila is you know seven hours so I was heading over there every seven weeks and staying for a week and then coming back to Sydney Um, and I was doing that for around eight years until Uh, covid stopped me from uh, from leaving the country um but yeah i've spent a lot of time i think i calculated it was over a year of my life um with all the one weeks (laughs) over so many years um and yeah it's just a it's it's a great place i've had an opportunity to to travel around the islands and uh, get to know the culture and the people and um with every trip fall deeper in love with uh with the filipinos and and it's just they're just such wonderful people to work with so talented and and generous uh, family oriented and um,
0: very loyal as well outsourcing has been going about thirty years now, i suppose in in kind of its modern form and but it's only really been available to small and medium sized businesses for the last maybe fifteen years. You're quite an early mover in in that market. What was it like ten years ago? you know how different has the industry but also the the business client awareness and acceptance of outsourcing changed?
1: Yeah, good question. Um, I think definitely 10 years ago, most people who are outsourcing uh, were looking for more call centres and virtual assistants and and admin back office kind of functions. Um, There wasn't many people, uh, which is essentially why I set it up myself and started to to grow it, um, you know, people focusing on the professional services. Um, so we've got a lot of staff who are you know web programmers and engineers and cad drawers and marketers and graphic designers accountants finance analysts data analysts security analysts Um, so yeah it's come it's come a long way i think when most people thought of offshoring outsourcing you know 10-15 years ago they weren't thinking of building a team of professionals um they, they were more thinking of the of the uh Easy to do repetitive function tasks. Um, so it's definitely come a long way. And one benefit of COVID to the world, I think, has forced people to have confidence that you don't need to be sitting in the same room as someone um, for them to deliver a task. Mm. So that's obviously um, created massive opportunity for, for outsource and the Philippines, where You've got people paying huge salaries, like you mentioned. In you know Australia, it's one of the most expensive places to live in the world from a salary perspective. Um, you know, also with uh, a lot of the Scandinavian countries and um, and the US, obviously, it's, you know, it's top ten. So it's super expensive to to hire people. Very hard to find people, and with the borders closed, no one else coming into the country on this island. Um, people have been forced to to look outside of uh australia um and i think around the world people have been forced to look outside their country because it's just not the available availability and it's too expensive um and they've got the confidence now through having all their staff locally working from home as well and this great technological advancements with this digital transformation um of you know zoom and meet and uh you know all these different um platforms that allow video conferencing which you know 10 years ago these were only for the corporate boardrooms and it cost $20,000 to set up a decent video conference facility um now every single person has access to it, to something whether it be a free one on their phone or you know everyone's got something on their computer that allows them to speak to anyone in the world and have high quality video uh, communication so it's been pretty pretty amazing how how quickly the world has shifted in the last couple of years, uh, and um, you know, our sources uh, is uh, reaping the benefits from that, and, and uh, yeah, it's been great for for business. Uh, finally, um, you know, during COVID, it wasn't. Um, we're we're a bit concerned what was going on, uh, and when I say during, uh, I'm referring to the first few months when it was, uh, you know, last year, uh, 2020, when um, everyone was a bit shocked and uh, unsure. There was that uncertainty of what was going to happen. Was the economy going to crash? Was every business going to go under? Was it the end of the world? Uh, and it took a few months for people to realize that life goes on and um, you know, many industries were actually booming and prospering, especially in the digital space, logistics space, healthcare, like a lot of categories uh, actually have done really well. So
0: we've been providing staff to help those businesses grow and become profitable. It's been a wild ride, hasn't it? You know, and, and sort of drilling down a bit on what you said about the technology, it, it's it cannot be understated how powerful this technology is that we all just take for granted now. Like, if COVID had happened 20 or 30 years ago, the economy would have been doomed or there would have been sort of tens or hundreds of millions of people died because everything was paper-based, everything you had to go to your office to participate and work. Whereas now, you know, people's behaviors and routines might not have all changed, but at least it is possible to keep on working from your laptop, from home, from wherever. And this is a a huge change to the market. And then I suppose it's COVID that has really given people the the extra sort of nudge or motivation to to go that next step. And I think that's a huge boon for outsourcing, of course, but just generally in terms of the new age of working and globalization, and and having the world, the world's workforce connected. Yeah,
1: yeah, definitely. I think it's really helped a lot of people who probably really didn't need to go into the office as well. Um, like we were chatting beforehand, how you know, my first business was twenty years ago. Um, you know, so probably a little bit, little bit of an older school mentality of needing to have everyone in the office. Um, you know, it felt like uh, the only way you could, uh, you know, trust and and guarantee productivity and uh, ROI was seeing the people in the office working hard, and they came in ten minutes late. Or how long was their lunch break? And um, it was super micromanagement, which is super inefficient. And especially in the Philippines, where a lot of these people were traveling, you know, for two hours to get to work because they're so uh, appreciative, so hardworking that they would travel two or three hours to get to work uh you know lining up in somewhere for an hour in the rain traveling on five different jitneys and a train um to get to, to get to the office and then some of these guys were programmers who would then go into the office sit in the corner with their headphones on because they're deep in code and don't want to be distracted and weren't kind of working with anyone anyway um, and then would get you know, at the end of the day, get up, go home and spend two to three hours, you know, on the way home. And they'd be so exhausted that it just wasn't productive. So I think for a lot of these people, they're, they're doing better code. They're happier in life, which results in, um, you know, more efficiency and productivity. So um, it's, it's really flipped people's perspective and definitely mine, um, where I can see the benefits of having people work from home in, in, in certain roles. Um, There are there are some where I think it's important to have people in the office. You know, if it's things like you know data security, um, if there's things like if they don't have uh, a stable internet connection or a quiet space at home, um, then we have offices in the Philippines. Um, You know, prior to COVID, we had ninety nine percent of our staff in the office, and you know now we've probably got uh, you know ten percent of them in the office, um, which I expect. Over the uh, the next couple of years, to get back to probably a uh, you know fifty percent at home, fifty percent in the office, and we'll fill the offices that we have just through our growth. Um, but I think there's yeah certainly fifty percent of them that will probably never come back to an office and won't ever want to, and don't really need to. Um, we are offering flexible hot desking where people can come in you know one or two days a week. Um, which I think would be something that's going to be very popular for the staff as well, where depending on the tasks that they have and team events and just wanting to get out of the house or anything, issues at home, they can just come into the office for um, some camaraderie and uh, maybe a faster internet connection on the days they need it. Um, so I think that flexibility
0: is, is is the way of the future. Yeah, I think it was Naval Ravikant from Silicon Bounty uh, that, said, you know, in 20 years from now, we're gonna look back and see that people are eating breakfast with their laptop and their iPad and their mobile phone. And then they have to commute into the office, you know, an hour and a half to work on a laptop, you know, and then they commute back to to their own laptop and iPhone and iPad. And it is it is kind of laughable. But then I'm, you know, the jury's out for me. I'm really on the fence. And generally for the Philippines, I'd recommend that everyone works from an office. And, but, you know, I don't want to sound like the old fuddy-duddy and not moving with times, but I think there's this sort of longitudinal experiment we're running that's never been run before, where we're talking about the sort of youth of today's society, the people that need sort of slight indoctrination and, and discipline and professionalizing within within workplaces. And if they're all just working from home on their bed in their pajamas and sort of backing between their work interface and Netflix and Facebook, it's um, you know, it'd be interesting to see the net result of what that's going to do for our future workforce. Maybe we're just thinking about it from the existing kind of framework of what we grew up in. And maybe everything will be great if not better. But it's the jury's still very much out, I think.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think it is hard to uh, compare how well, you know, people performed in the first, you know, six months post lockdown because a lot of those people had built the trust, built the relationship, you know, in the years prior. So for them uh, to go home, you uh, you know, it wasn't as much risk, but when you've got new starters, um, there is, yeah, that, that concern, I guess, that uh, you know, how is this person uh, going to go when they have never been to an office? I've never seen them in person uh, and there's a lot of trust there. Um, what we do provide um, optional is some uh, monitoring soft- software on on the computers. So it's not something that I... I push that hard because I do feel that trust is super important, um, and the, but it is an option there that some clients take up, which is uh, it'll take screenshots of the of the computer at, at intervals that are set by um, by the client. So there might be every ten seconds, every one hour, you know, whoever often is. We can track IP based. You know, where are they? Are they at home? Are they at a cafe? Are they in another country? Are they, you know, we, you know, we can monitor these kind of things. If there is that kind of concern, we have the tools to really uh, monitor the candidates. But I think we should always lead with trust, just like we would with someone locally. Mm. Um, would we do that to someone who was in Sydney or London or, the, or New York? Would would be put this tracking software on them? And and if not, then why do it to someone in in Manila when um, they should be given the same opportunity? As anyone else in the world, to first prove themselves that they can be diligent at their
0: work and and deliver it to the to the standards that anyone else could in, in the world. So I think exactly and there's, would, the, there's yeah. a sort of assumption that if people are working from the office then they're going to be productive. but I mean, there's been you know sort of decades or centuries of people slacking off in their workplaces. you know you don't necessarily oh, totally. need to be at home to slack off or not pull your weight or not be productive. So yeah, there's um, almost
1: more distractions. Like when you're at an office, there's people walk over to your desk, and it's very hard to concentrate because there's a lot of noise in the background. Um, I found it really distracting personally to to go back to an office um, in and out of lockdown in in Sydney. um, You know, being in in offices and hearing people in the background talking after working in such silence at home, to then go to an environment where there's noise and chatter and people walking around and coming over to your desk, I was more distracted at, at the office than I was at home and yeah at home maybe i might um take a break for 10 minutes and and watch some netflix for 15 minutes or or 30 minutes but i then work for an extra two hours because i saved you know all the time in in travel and getting ready and all these other things so i think we kind of need to look at the day very differently and think of it more of a as, as an output um effectiveness instead of this kind of old school nine to nine to five mentality of Um, were you sitting at your desk during that time that makes you a good employee no because a lot of those people that were sitting at the desk you know in 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 Australia UK USA were what reading Facebook or um, doing personal things or you know just because you're sitting at a desk in an office doesn't mean that you're necessarily a diligent uh, employee so I think it's we need to kind of shift the way that we set the KPIs for staff and how we monitor them and, and reward them and consider them successful and I don't think that should have anything to do with uh, what time did they clock in and clock out because they're not factory workers um they're creative people doing um their you know, professional services
0: yeah and I think the home base you know there's going to be a bell curve of of distribution and production and, and efficacy of there's gonna be people right at the top that are now working 14 hour days, they're highly productive, they're not getting interrupted. And then there's gonna be the people that are working that are working 10 minutes a day and watching Netflix for 10 hours a day. But I suppose there would have been that equal distribution within an office, you know, there would always be the people that are sort of around other people's desks and chatting and at the water cooler. And then there's the people that really get stuck in. So, and maybe they're different people that that flourish at home versus in the office. Maybe it's people that are more introverted and, and self-motivators that really flourish at home as opposed to people in the office are more the sort of Uh, Interpersonal networking types, but it's going to be fascinating. And as you say, it's now more kind of knowledge and creative based. It's about the output, but that's also very difficult to monitor, isn't it? It's very difficult to sort of gauge what is a good level of productivity for a creative output. You know, it's um, yeah,
1: yeah. I think, I think, um, like in in programming land, um, you know, generally when you create a ticket, for example, you make it you try to make it no more than 2 hours for example per ticket you don't want one ticket to take 10 days you try and break tasks down into micro tasks um, so you could essentially at the end of a week or end of a month see how many tickets did that person deliver and were they as effective as other people that were were local um, Were they, were those local people as effective now as they were when they were in office, you know, two years ago? So you can kind of look at the output of of the people um, and, you know, same from a creative perspective, if it's a graphic designer, you know, how long did it take them to deliver that? How was the quality of the the artistry? How does it compare to the output that I used to get previously? Um, You know, if it's a data entry person in the same way, how many elements of data did they uh, feel in that time and how does that compare to other people locally who, I, who sit at a table next to me? So I think kind of shifting from how many hours did the person sit at a desk in an office to what did they deliver and, and I, have I received an ROI on that?
0: Yeah and it's changing the the frameworks, isn't it? You know, and, and this is what's helped with the advancement of technology. We not only have Zoom, but we have all of the digital interfaces, the project management, the CRMs, the emails. All of this is now digital, so I suppose it gets it, – it's all easier to manage information, to manage knowledge, to, ma- to manage creative output, and then also to monitor it and, I suppose, subscribe values to that. Yeah, you
1: can um, have – you know, tools like HubSpot that monitor every email that's gone out and you can log in and see how many emails were sent between the staff and put report dashboard reports together to compare staff in terms of how many emails did they send, how long did it take uh, to, to, to respond to other emails, um, conversion rates and tracking. It's, it's almost like we can now with people in this digital world, we can track them, micro track them, to a level that was never possible before that, um, you know, it's so easy actually to kind of report on people's output that I think it's made it so much
0: easier to not need them in the office really. And there's, you know, it's not all about sales, but there's gong.io and there's quite a few other sort of um, AI enhanced things, but that's effectively like a sales enhancement tool and it can analyze Uh, phone calls it can analyze emails it can analyze text and messaging and it can then monitor the different sentiment within the different texts and it can analyze those that are closing more closing better closing faster to those that are closing slower and it can provide prompts and it obviously provides analytics and then it provides sort of uh, guidance as to how the majority can close better and more effectively like the minority that are. It's it's just incredibly powerful, isn't it? Once everything is kind of through an interface on a laptop, then all of this data can be aggregated and analysed and it's um, it's pretty sci-fi.
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, you can... Uh, that The software that I mentioned uh, before, it's called Hubstaff. Um, so there's HubSpot, which is a CRM that we use, um, but there's also Hubstaff, which is the workforce kind of monitoring application. Um, and the amount of detail that you can track is, is kind of scary, which is why I don't really push lead with it, but it's kind of there for those who do lack that trust. Um, but yeah, it can kind of monitor how many times you've touched your keyboard and moved your mouse and, uh, how many browsers you've looked at and how effective you are at that kind of level. So, um, it's almost like there's too much information now to, for people to get away with doing nothing um, and the rep- amount of reporting that we can, we can generate that, um, yeah, you really don't need the person to be in an office. Um, but, yeah, like the exceptions I, I, mean, I mentioned, I think uh, when it's relevant for the staff to be in office, we've got one client, Shust- Shootster, who has a lot of video editors Um, They're using large MacBooks, doing gigabit transactions, um, file transfers, so they need significant bandwidth. Um, So, yeah, that's one example where it's actually useful having the staff in the office, uh, and it's quite a creative um, work that they're doing. So the collaboration of having other people in your team in the office is useful. Um, But one thing that COVID has shown us as well, and one of the benefits of having some people at home is this kind of disaster um, management so we had one situation where a staff member had COVID um, unknown to them took it into the office and everyone in the team then had to isolate Um, so we've kind of now set up more satellite offices for them so they've got a few staff in different locations so that something like that wouldn't happen again that one person couldn't take down a whole team for example and it's just something you would never have thought of two years ago that let's have some of our staff in different offices or some of them working from home in the event that someone gets sick and brings into the office on the contrary if someone was sick you'd say toughen up and come on in <laughs> you like and they'd be walking around sniffing and sniffling and coughing and all this kind of stuff around the office but there's an expectation that if you're not dying then come into the office whereas now it's like any kind of you know hint of having a cough do not come anywhere near the office so it's it's, it's pretty uh, revolutionary kind of shift in mentality uh to, to sickness especially and this kind of consideration that maybe you don't want all your staff in one location sitting around a bunch of tables because if one of them gets sick might, might it be covid it might be influenza or some other kind of virus it could take down the whole team so then you've got you know 10 staff now who can't work because they've all got this illness because you force them all to go into an office instead of allowing them to to be at home so there's this it's kind of opened up uh, you know some some new things to
0: consider uh in this new world yeah it's all changed isn't it? it's crazy the new considerations that it, as you say it's almost like the other side of the coin in terms of the strategies and considerations from just two years ago it's done it
1: yeah <laughs> almost
0: like a 180 um, actually, Mike, Introduce Outsourced, if you don't mind. It's actually a great uh, URL, outsourced.ph, P-H referring to Philippines, uh, and it's, it's so cool. But give us like an elevator pitch. Where do you find your, you know, your strengths, your particular market, and your value add?
1: Yeah, thanks. Um, so, look, I think the majority of people, when they think of outsourcing, they think of call centres and, and virtual assistants. Uh, especially in the Philippines, and call centers are massive in the Philippines. There's you know, some companies that have literally ten thousand, hundred thousand kind of staff. So it's next level. Um, we have call center agents, um, and we we are good at it. But I think what we do better than anyone else, and not many people offer this, is professional services. So um, when I refer to professional services, um, it's things like uh, you know IT. Um, so we've got, you know, web developers, software engineers, security analysts. Um, we've got uh, guys doing VR and AR, uh, network admin. Um, we've got, you know, people doing legal work and um, logistics support. We've got people, um, you yeah, know, para- paralegal support. We've got people then in the creative space, so web and graphic design, um, game moderators, industrial designers, 3D modelers, Um and then, you know, in the marketing space, um, people doing SEO, SEM, um, data analysis, and, um, and we've got then people in financial services, like bookkeepers, paraplanners, um, like underwriters, like all these kind of things that you would probably not the first things that would come to mind when you think of outsourcing or, or offshoring. So, and that's what we, we do really well. We've got a really talented team of recruiters. Uh, we've got a really superior recruitment process. We spend a lot of money on upgrading LinkedIn to recruiter status. Each seat costs $10,000 so, and we've got eight recruiters. Um, and so we also um, are kind of... Uh, so it's, it's more about the head hunting instead of just passively putting something up on a job board and hoping that someone applies. We're kind of out there building... Um, you know, connections with the top 5% of of talent in the Philippines. So that when someone comes in and says, um, you know, we want a Microsoft Dynamics 365 engineer, there's only 20 of them in the Philippines. And, uh, you know, we've already connected with them. And, you know, we've got a couple of clients who have some of those. So here we go, you know, we've got experience, uh, you know, hiring those people. So we've spent a lot of Time, effort, and money on our recruitment process to make sure that we're getting that top five percent of talent, um, and we're also, um, you know, ISO certified. So that, that's another great thing about having a company in the Philippines. I can afford to have a full-time ISO dedicated quality assurance um, manager on my team. So there's literally someone in the outsourced support team who does nothing but assist annually with our um, compliance and ISO certification renewal, but also anything that ever needs a process improvement or anything that we can see if there's any any issue or if there's something that we can see we can provide a better service. it's all documented and updated and we're constantly improving as a business. And so that's our ISO for uh, quality systems. It's the um, ISO nine thousand and one for quality management systems. And we also have um, the information security management systems, ISO, um, which uh, is covering more things like um, data security, uh, information security, uh, which is obviously a concern for for everyone when you've got staff offshore or even if you've got staff locally. Um, So having that uh, confidence that you're working with a company that really uh, invests into quality staff and quality systems and information security is what differentiates us from um, from a lot of the other
0: providers. I want to come back to the ISO in a minute, but the recruitment, like we're hearing everywhere now and it seems to be across the world, like the great resignation and labour shortages and rising salaries And, you know, that's very much happening in the US and in Australia, and there's a lot of inflationary pressure now. Um, But also, how are you finding it in the Philippines? I know with COVID, there has been a dramatic increase in demand for the developers, for the Shopify, for the creatives. How how do you find the balancing the the recruitment requirements and finding the staff you need at a reasonable price?
1: Yeah, I think... um... Uh, you know australia has been hit pretty bad being um an island that kind of shut its borders um probably harder than i think probably new zealand's probably one of the only ones that kind of shut just as equally as hard um so literally no one has been coming into the country for for a couple of years which has dried up all the um the talent from internationals that used to constantly come into the country and um it was Pretty common, especially in, in IT, to have people on visas working uh, in the company. So there's been this closed border, at the same time, digital transformation, digital boom. So people have just been unable to find anyone in, in Australia. And I know this is happening around the world. I think you know, we mentioned earlier the um uh, the mass resignation, they're calling it, and um you know, saying that 50% of people you know have or are going to resign. Um you know in in this in this kind of 12 month period so it's unprecedented um the amount of people that have been resigning um and then the difficulty that people are finding to then replace them because there's just not enough talent there so that's where um you know a lot of australian companies a lot of people in the us are looking to the philippines um because there is a huge amount of um talent there in in that technical space and in all the professional services and you have the buying power. So, um, compared to, um, you know, locally where you're, um, you know, competing with other enterprise companies potentially or listed companies. Um, when you go to the Philippines, you are the one that has this huge buying power where, uh the salaries are 70% less than what you would offer someone locally so you can go over there and offer someone an incredible salary that's still going to save you um a, a huge amount of money and you can retain them a lot easier so you know locally at a 10% um salary increase to keep someone um, may not just be possible may not be possible but you know in the philippines if someone asks for a 10% it's in some cases you're hundreds of dollars so it's just insignificant and and worth doing to to retain them um but we haven't seen a huge impact uh on the salaries um to be honest in the philippines there hasn't been um uh you know people expecting uh you know double their salary or anything ridiculous like that it's um it, they've actually been super understanding and super um Loyal to the businesses that they work for, and that's one great thing about uh, one of the many things that are great about the Filipinos. Is they are super loyal, um, and almost to the point that it, one thing that is a challenge in the Philippines is getting people to leave their company because they they feel bad leaving their employer because they're so, they're so loyal to that employer. So once you've got someone as a staff member, it, it's unlikely um, and. Um, unless they've just been offered something that is, you know, career change or a ridiculous offer or you haven't been trading them very well or something like that, that they would actually leave. So, yeah, it's been booming in the Philippines. It has been harder to find some of the roles because a lot of people are obviously now looking in the Philippines, but it's much easier than, um, definitely much easier than finding people in Australia and, and from what I've heard, finding people in, in the US. Um, so, yeah, it's been it's been really great. Um, you know, tens of thousands of people graduating from, from universities, uh, 100 million population in the Philippines. So um, there's youth that are coming out, graduating from these great um, IT university courses. And, yeah,
0: you know, like I said, uh, you know, 70% the cost of hiring locally. And I think this is illustrating that it's so important that there is labour mobility and pre prior to the sort of internet revolution, labour migration was controlled physically by borders and and visas and stuff like that but now you know everything's done online and when borders shut down you realize that you still need the workers you need the migration and I think Australia is a good example of this in that it is an island and it's very isolated in the middle of a big ocean and it doesn't allow a lot of migration and there's not a lot of immigration and the Australian sort of business community has found this release valve in the Philippines. And, you know, I think they're quite big adopters, early adopters of the concept of outsourcing because base salaries are so, so high in Australia and it's almost like this kind of um, pressure boiler. So it's, it's a fascinating thing to see play out over the last sort of 10 to 20 years and also then to see where it will go over the next 20 years because I don't think that borders and tariffs and taxes and uh, things like that can actually really control the labour flow anymore, um, like it used to. So it's going to be fascinating to to see it play out.
1: Yeah, I think um, you know Australia is a, is a wealthy nation with super high salaries, but despite being a massive uh, landmass, there's only you know twenty million people here. So um, you know the Philippines is is a great place for us to um, you know build teams um and yeah with it with the buying power that we have um we can hire some exceptional talent um that's one thing that i always recommend to people is in the same way as when you hire locally you don't try and well i hope you don't (laughs) you don't you you know try and uh, go for the cheapest people um you don't put an ad up and say the person person locally would normally be you know hundred thousand you're not going to try and Push them down to fifty thousand, or try and get someone at fifty thousand to do a hundred thousand uh, dollar salary kind of task. So, in the same, in the Philippines, that um, there's some people that just think that they, you know, they want to go to the lowest possible price. But on the contrary, use the buying power that you have, still save a considerable amount, but pay the staff well, and you'll be able to get guys who literally can lead teams locally so we've got staff where uh, for example the tech lead uh, for one of our clients is managing teams of developers in australia and we've got you know consultants who are um, leading teams in, in america so it doesn't necessarily have to be you know, the cheapest staff that you've kind of squeezed down on salary and they're really struggling to live you can pay the guys um you know mid to top level salaries, they'll be super hard workers, super loyal, stay with you for a decade. You, you'll 10 times your return on investment because you can charge them out um, at 10 times, you know, what, what you're paying them. And, and there's some brilliant people there. So I think it's just kind of shifting the mindset of trying to get the cheapest people and thinking more, what how can I best use the funds that I have to get the best people in the Philippines um, to make sure that i uh, you know build a super high quality team that's going to last for a long time and and really help the business from its service level perspective um, quality perspective delivery perspective um and all at in the, end, in the end it all results in
0: you know a more profitable business which is what everyone's trying to achieve yeah that's so valuable i, I try and encourage people to to think more along those lines Like you know people sort of Try and scape, scrape around and find a two or three dollar virtual assistant, and it's like you know what is the nominal value or gain that you can get? You know, sure it's cheaper than finding a sort of basic assistant in Australia or the US, but the, the sort of value add is limited and the savings are limited. If you can find a fantastic developer in the Philippines, it would normally cost you two, three, or four hundred thousand a year in Australia or the US. Then what you are saving there is huge, and the value that they can add to your business is just so many times greater than trying to scrape around the bottom of the barrel and find a one or two dollar an hour VA. Like it's um, the value is actually up the top and in in the in the higher skills and higher value additional activities. Yeah,
1: yeah, definitely, and that's what I'll always recommend is you know try because you you've got the ability with the the funds that you're going to save compared to hiring locally. Go for the top five percent, which in which locally you can't afford, because you know they're going to the Googles and the the Facebooks and the the Teslas and you know, these guys of the big billion dollar companies are grabbing the best talent, um, and you're kind of just doing the best you can with what you can afford. Whereas you can take half that money or a, th- or a third of that money and, and go get the top five percent of people in the Philippines. So um, don't then try to go to the Philippines and then try and. Get the bottom five percent because they're the cheapest, like it's just the wrong way to do it. Mm. Um, and you know, you you'd get the same results locally if you're trying to get the cheapest people, you, they're generally not going to be the most talented ones that are
0: going to give you the best, um, best output for sure. And Mike, coming back to the ISO, like so many people are hesitant about outsourcing because of security, data security, and things like that. And that's you know, there's been a lot of hacking recently, and ransomware and so it's now in the public conscience so much more um how how do the iso certifications work and how do you think that can add sort of uh confidence i suppose to people's perceptions and processes
1: yeah so there's there's literally um iso uh well there's organizations that you need to go through to get the certification and they all come into the office um and review every single process and system they literally you know walk around looking at where you've got your cctv cameras position what kind of network infrastructure you have what kind of firewall um, what kind of computers you're giving to the staff what kind of virus protection you have on those what kind of background checks do you do on the staff like there's thousands of questions they're in there for months and um it, it's a really in-depth process and like i mentioned we've got a full-time person that just works on nothing but this um, you know, plus a talented team of um, IT support staff um, just to make sure that um, the data security and, you know, information security management system is um, is the most robust possible and constantly improving um, because it's important at any level, even if people aren't necessarily dealing with credit card information or confidential, um, you know, top secret information. Uh, you just don't want any kind of, kind of breach be that offshore or locally. So um, that's one of the benefits that maybe w- we can actually provide more security than a lot of companies can locally because they just can't afford to do the the ISO themselves for their own company because it is an expensive process. But, um, you know, we're a, a, a larger company that, that can see the justification for it and also, um, you know, the staff, the staff costs in the Philippines are lower. So, um, yeah, we're able to deliver a, a level of confidence and data security that is probably superior to what a lot of these companies are doing
0: locally. Yeah, and again, that, that's it's, it's the irony of going to the Philippines because people think they're sort of heading into the third world and things are going to be so much more basic, but actually by partnering with a firm like Outsourced, they're actually able to leverage systems that are far more sophisticated than than the average, you know, and it's because you're able to sort of leverage uh, more cost-effective, highly skilled people that you're able to comply with the ISO and maintain the ISO, and so you end up getting very sophisticated companies in the Philippines that can really help propel client companies that much forward. Yeah, you know?
1: yeah, and I mean, with, going back to the the point previously about um, you know getting the top five yeah, percent, one thing you can do as well instead of you know locally, you might get a, a bookkeeper. help out you can hire a chartered accountant to help out um instead of having someone who's uh, you can't afford to have full time so you kind of um try to do some things yourself around you know reading legal documents or um because you're trying to save money as as a business owner you can afford the people who are skilled at these roles they're you know they're graduate um solicitors you can have them full-time on your team or part-time on your team so um the cost saving can actually improve the quality output and give you access to talent that you wouldn't normally be able to afford locally. Um, so it frees up your time. You can get higher quality people, um, you know, still save money and get people who, you know, instead of like a like the bookkeeper versus a chartered accountant, for example. Um so yeah, it's just amazing how. You can use the Philippines to improve quality, improve efficiency, improve data security, um, hire more staff as well. So where you'd normally hire one, you could hire three. And then those projects that come in where you're normally saying, oh, actually, I need to turn that away because we just don't have enough staff. You've now hired three staff instead of one and you can deliver that project. So your revenues go up and you've got more clients. So then it snowballs into more business. Um, and, you know, some of the smaller businesses where they've, uh, you know, they've got a couple of staff and then one of them leaves, they've just lost 50% of the company. But if you've got, you know, 6 staff in, instead of 2 or 10 staff instead of 2, then, you know, losing a couple isn't going to mean you've just lost so much IP, um, like if, if you do lose, uh, you know, people locally because that's all you can afford.
0: Yeah, I think that's so valuable, isn't it? And it's, it's that perspective that I think can add so much, value to clients and that's why i encourage everyone to reach out and have a phone call and because people that aren't familiar with outsourcing they kind of see it in a in a binary kind of am i going to get this va offshore but they don't see the whole spectrum of opportunity and you know it's not just cost saving but it's actually how you can grow and build your business by leveraging these these extra skills professionals bums on seats and things like that it's so, so powerful, isn't it? And again, that's why I think uh, people should really pick up the phone. Uh, how, do you, how do you encourage people to take the first step, Mike? Like, what do you usually kind of ease them in with?
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, the, the easiest way is start with, with one staff member. Um, one recommendation, if doing so, is to make sure that's a senior person. So, again, going back to that, um, don't try and get the cheapest person. If you, especially if you're only gonna get one staff member, don't make that a junior that's just graduated from university. Because just like hiring locally, if you had someone who's fresh grad, never had any professional experience working in a business, they come into your office the first week. You're not going to expect them to either you know, be the uh, that solve every problem in your business. But for some reason, people think that's what's going to happen with someone offshore that they don't have the time to train. The reason they're hiring is because they're overwhelmed themselves. So they haven't documented the processes. They haven't allocated time to train them. They don't have the time to train them. And they've hired a junior who's going to sit there and have no idea and be a little bit shy for this uh, you know person overseas who's, um, they don't want to do anything wrong by. And it's just destined to fail. So make sure the first hire is a senior who's, you know, had 10 years experience working in a business and most likely a lot of these guys have already had experience working with international companies it's very common in the philippines that most staff have had experience already working with an australian us uk company that's super common um, so you go with those guys and you get that working then you see this, see it's succeeding and see it's helping your business and you scale from there one becomes five, becomes 10, becomes 50, becomes however many you need to make it a success. And that those first hires, you've trained them and now you've trained the trainer. So when new starters come on, those people that you've now built up and invested your time in and, and trained and that you trust are now going to help build the team over there for you and assist in the recruitment process, assist in the training process. So it takes a little bit of energy you know, at the start, um, but that's why it's so important to make sure that these are more senior people who down the track will be the leaders of your team offshore and um, kind of help run it for you um, so that you don't even have to be involved in you know, the recruitment process or selection process or training process. Um, these guys are going to really own it.
0: Um, yeah, that's and, so you know, exciting that, right but it, it's it's getting that snowball rolling isn't it and then it just rolls and then it gets bigger and it gets stronger and more powerful and there's this momentum Then it's uh it's just such an exciting concept isn't it and it just starts oh, by totally. hiring one hiring the right person getting the right capable yep. people and then sort of also having a little bit of guidance from you that's been there you've done it you've seen it uh and you get that snowball rolling and you get that confidence in offshoring and the people that you can find offshore and then it just starts rolling and it, it's so powerful, isn't it? It transforms companies. Yeah.
1: Yeah, we remove all the, uh, the headaches in terms of, you know, we're doing the recruitment, we're doing the employment, ensuring that they're receiving all their benefits, ensuring that their um, employment is compliant with empl- local employment laws, Um, you know we're providing the equipment the facilities if needed Um, we've got you know all the IT support we've got the client services um, you know performance management all those kind of things so you don't have to worry about that you don't have to um, you just have to give us the job description then we go out find the people and then we make sure it's all going to work for you Um, and you don't have to worry about any of that compliance or um, you know all the HR
0: that's kind of all on our side. So cool. It's amazing. It's so powerful, you know, and it's a done for you service and you're getting the best of the best and yet you're still saving, you know, you're not overpaying. You're not paying more than what you would expect to pay a normal salary. You're actually saving significant money. It's just, I'm just amazed that not every business is already offshoring sometimes, you know, it's crazy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think it's one of those things that, uh, you know, there's a little bit of, Caution and hesitancy and, you know, it, what's it going to be like going offshore? But once you've done it, then, yeah, you just never look back and uh, you, you just see how beneficial it is to your business, how much easier and faster you can scale, uh, how much you'll save. And then also one thing I like to point out is how how then that helps the local economy because, um, you know, one thing that does come up, um, you know, from nationalism perspective is, I don't want to give jobs offshore because that's taking away from people locally. Um, there's, I've so I, was, I could talk about this for hours, but, but um, you know, I think beyond the, um, the the joy of giving jobs to people in a third world who need it more than anyone else, beyond that point, um, the benefit that you'll see is because she can hire more people and because she can scale more profitably your business locally will grow and succeed more so than it would without that by doing so you'll then be able to hire more people locally you'll be paying more taxes as a company locally which helps the local community Um, so it all all comes back around and the worst thing you want is you think you're doing the right thing i just want to hire guys locally but then you can't um you can't grow quick enough you're turning down jobs you're not profitable, you're not paying taxes, you're not paying not paying taxes in a good way, not paying taxes is a bad way because you're not making any profit. <laughs> um, so you're not really helping, are you? Like So it's just a different way of looking at it that a step of going offshore saves you money, increases the output, increases your revenues, thus making you a more successful business locally, which means you can hire more people locally, pay more more taxes locally and help the local community. Um, and, yeah, so just a really – it's a bit of a mind shift for people to kind of really think about that actually doing this is is going to be good for the local economy. And there's been a lot of studies around this, and I've published some articles on it actually. Um, uh, if anyone wants to reach out um, on my email, which is uh, mike at outsourced.ph, I'm happy to share some of those articles um, where it actually – a lot of data has shown that offshoring helps businesses um, uh, improve the local economy for, for where their business is based. So, yeah, it's really interesting.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's, it is it's a win-win. It clearly is, you know, and I think it's, it's a dead argument that it kind of saps the life out of an economy if you just are able to source cheaper resources from somewhere else and run your company efficiently. I think it's just a a kind of new point, but it's so important to remind people about that. And Mike, you know, again, I I just get so excited by this and and I hope listeners are too, um, because it really is transformative if you haven't yet started outsourcing and you're still listening to this program. Um, So I encourage, as always, people to get on the phone, have a chat and see actually how it can transform their businesses as well, because it's, it's real. And I think chatting someone like you, Mike, really can put it in a sort of real frame. You know, it's all just theoretical until you actually have a chat about your business and how it can affect your team and, and get you closer towards your goals. So I really do encourage that. Mike, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, you you obviously mentioned your email there, but how how can they find out more about Outsourced and, and what is the best way of getting in touch?
1: Yeah, definitely. The, the best way is to go to our website, outsourced.ph um there's a lot of information on there there's explainer videos um there's a contact form so you can quite easily reach out and get put in, in, in touch with the right person otherwise i welcome you to contact me directly uh, again that um, email is mike at outsource.ph um, and uh, yeah, i'm always online so uh, and i'd love to love to have a chat and um you know talk to you about how you can build a successful business um through
0: staffing in the philippines Great, Mike. Yeah, fantastic. And, and it's super inspiring for me. So I hope it's been inspiring for other people out there in the audience. So thank you so much. Thank you, Derek. It's been a pleasure. That was Mike Larcher, CEO and founder of Outsourced.ph. As always, if you're on any of the show notes or want to get in touch with Mike, go to OutsourceAccelerator.com slash podcasts And if you want to send us a message, email us, at ask at outsourceaccelerator.com. See you next time.